Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, as we continue through this good news series, I want to welcome the venue service that's joining us via live stream right down the hall, and then also Reach Church DeSoto. Last week, they got to hear from Pastor Ryan, and I know he did a wonderful job leading them through that text, and so grateful for what God is doing at Reach Church DeSoto. Um, and uh, so excited for Fellowship Olathe this morning. Pastor Jeremy Allen is preaching uh, over there this same passage, and so we'll keep them in our prayers. And again, as earlier, we welcomed all those joining us online. We're grateful for everybody that's joined up with us this morning as we look at this text. Well, when we jump into these passages, we got to get a little bit of the context. I love just preaching through the Word of God, but when we jump in, we got to know where we're at. And here we're in John chapter 4, and probably more people are familiar with John chapter 3 than they are John chapter 4. John 3.16 is so well known, but that occurs within the larger context of a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. You remember Nicodemus? He is an educated moral Jewish man. And then you get into John chapter 4, and now we're going to meet up with an uneducated, immoral Samaritan woman. These two individuals are on the opposite ends of the spiritual perspective and spectrum. But here's what both of them come to realize. Both of them need Jesus. Doesn't matter how self-righteous you think you are today, how good you might think you are. Doesn't matter how sinful you think you are today. Jesus is the only means of salvation. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. Poor or wealthy, educated, uneducated, moral or immoral, we all need Jesus because we are all sinners. And he is the only solution to the brokenness of our lives. As Jesus said in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, whosoever. Is that true for, for Nicodemus, a religious, educated, moral man? Is it true and can it be true for an educated, immoral Samaritan woman? I think the better question for all of us is, can it be true for us? What we're going to see today is an amazing work of God's grace in this woman's life. Powerful picture of how God loves to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this passage. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word today. God, as we come before you and we come before your word today, I pray that you would help us to lay aside anything that might distract us. For the next few brief moments, Lord, we want to focus in on you and your word. We want to hear your voice. God, I I pray for any individual that might have made their way into this room this morning or watching online or at DeSoto or maybe in their home right now just watching. God, I pray if they don't know you, That just as you did with this woman, you would reach into their life and you'd reveal their sin. And most importantly, you'd reveal the beauty of your salvation that you've provided in Christ. I pray today they would be reborn. 
by the power of God and the gospel. And God, for those of us that do know you, I pray that we would see ourselves in this woman and we'd be reminded again of your wonderful grace and your patience and your kindness that was extended to us when we came to know you. May we live with grateful hearts in the light of the salvation that you have given to us as a free gift of grace. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, look with me at verses 1 through 4. It says, therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. In this, this divine work of grace in this woman's life, we see here that it's preceded by divine providence. These Samaritans, we're not going to go into a whole lot of detail on the background of the Samaritans, but suffice it to say this morning, this was a group of people that the Jews didn't like very much. They were an intermingling of um, pagan idol worship and Jewish faith. So the Jews, they considered them unclean. Samaritans didn't like Jews. Jews didn't like Samaritans. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. But it says here, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And some people see that as as, uh, just a geographic necessity. Judea's in the south, Galilee's at the north, Samaria's in the middle. So he had to go through Samaria. But that's not really true because a lot of Jewish people, most Orthodox Jews, would do anything to avoid Samaria. We don't want to have anything to do with those folks. And I can guarantee you the disciples weren't probably excited about passing through Samaria. It wasn't their idea. But it says here Jesus had to pass through Samaria. There's a, there's a, uh, a compelling necessity with Christ that I got to do this, that, that he has a divine appointment with a woman. Here we're we're beginning to see the heart of God. In fact, in verse 23 later in this story, it talks about that he desires uh, worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. For these are the worshipers that God seeks. It used that word, seeks. You understand today, God seeks after the lost This is what you see in the gospel narratives. Jesus is always reaching out to lost individuals. Jesus is making a point with his disciples. You might not like these people very much, but I love them. They're the individuals that I came to save. And so Jesus had to pass through Samaria that long before this woman ever arrived at this well. God was seeking after and pursuing and reaching into the life of this Samaritan woman so that she could have a relationship with him. Isn't that astounding that before we ever wanted God, he wanted us. When we were rebellious and we didn't have anything to do with him and we didn't want him, he was pursuing us. So the work of grace in this this woman's life is preceded by a work of of divine providence. But look with me at verses 5 and 6. 
It says, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So here's Jesus sitting by this well, and as we've been studying in Genesis, uh, we've seen that that wells were a picture of God's providence and his provision and his care for the, for, the, for the patriarchs all the way back to Abraham, even as we just recently studied Isaac redigging the wells of, of his father Abraham and God supplying. It was a picture that God promised to bless this nation and, and a picture of his divine providence that he always gave them water so, to sustain them. But, but the greatest picture of God's and greatest reminder to the people of his provision vision was the promise that I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send somebody to save you. And so here is the hope of all of Israel sitting next to Jacob's well. And I can't help but wonder what Jesus was thinking about in that moment. Not only is it a picture of God's provision, but these wells, you'll remember, the well was often the place where the patriarchs would find their bride. You remember when Abraham's looking for a bride for Isaac, he sends Eliezer. And where does Eliezer, where does he meet up with Rebekah? At a well. And, and Jacob is going to meet up with Rachel at a well. And Moses is going to meet up with Zipporah at a well. That wells are the places where, where, where patriarchs and Moses meet up with their brides. And here is Jesus. And this woman has often been referred to as the first Gentile convert. She is the beginning of what? She's the beginning of the church. Chapter 3, Jew and Gentile. Chapter 4, being combined into one body. This woman right here, Jesus is meeting up with his bride. The church. And what does she look like, by the way? Well, she's not a bastion of uprightness and morality. Boy, isn't that a picture of us. This woman, she might not be really upright and holy, but Jesus loves her. And he's going to cleanse her and he's going to make her his own. That is the picture of the church. That you were once not a people, now you're the people of God. That even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, God loves you. Some of you might be here this morning or watching online and you feel some kind of sorry this morning. This encounter ought to give you hope. Because Jesus loves saving sinners. So Jesus meets up with her there, and, and this work of grace, it's preceded by a work of divine providence, but it begins really naturally. Look at, look at verses 7 and 8. It says, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So it, it begins providentially, but then it just proceeds forth really naturally, that Jesus' conversation with this woman is not, not contrived, it's not manipulative, he's not trying to be deceptive. He's a man just like us in that regard, and he's thirsty, and so he simply asks for a drink. 
And I think we got to be careful about this because sometimes we'll try to create a, a full model and structure of evangelistic method out of this encounter. I don't think Jesus is sitting there thinking, boy, how could, what illustration could I use right here to maneuver the conversation around the gospel? No. Listen, when Jesus, Jesus had no, we struggle with moving the conversation to spiritual things. Jesus, to have a conversation with him, doesn't matter if it's this woman or anybody else, to have a conversation with Jesus was to be ushered into the very presence of God. And as I thought about this this week, isn't that our prayer as well? I'm guilty too of saying, boy, as I'm sitting next to somebody on the airplane, how can I maneuver the conversation around to Jesus? And you know what my prayer has been this week? Is I had a conversation yesterday with somebody. That in all my conversation, that trying to get the conversation to Jesus would not be contrived or manipulative. It would be the natural flow of my life. That to have a conversation with somebody, I couldn't help but bring up Jesus because he fills my life. He's everything to me. That nobody could have a conversation or a conversation with us without being confronted with the reality of who God is and how much he means to us. So here is Jesus. He just starting a conversation. He's, he's somebody who needs a drink of water. And he, he says, would you give me a, a drink of water? And look at how she responds in, in verse 9. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. <laughs> Jesus, can I have a drink? What do you want to do with me? Boy, she lashes out. It's kind of strong when you think about it in that regard. She doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. We know it's the sixth hour. It's noon. Why did she come at noon? Well, this is a time when nobody else would come. It was the heat of the day. Most of the ladies would have come to the well in the morning or the evening when it was cooler. She comes at this hour because of all the mess in her life. She doesn't want to talk to anybody. And she certainly doesn't want to talk to Jesus. She is resistive. Towards Christ, she doesn't want to have a conversation with him. She doesn't want to talk to anybody at this moment. And quite frankly, all of us prior to faith in Christ, we didn't really want Jesus. But Jesus is a very polite Savior. As you move forward in the conversation, she's going to be at times very terse. And sometimes it seems, and even in this, it appears a bit rude. But Jesus is so kind and so persistent. How many of you today would say with me, I'm so grateful that when I was resistant towards Christ, he continued to persist in my life. And he didn't give up on me. Rarely a day goes by when I don't thank the Holy Spirit for not giving up on me. When I resisted his leadership. And so here is Jesus. She might be a little rude, and he just continues to persist in his conversation. In verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And Jesus begins to, to create some curiosity in the conversation. And, and don't miss the language that he uses. He talks about uh, if you knew the gift of God and who had asked you, you would have asked him and he would have given you. That he's already introducing the method of grace, that the work of grace that God desires to bring about in her life, it's a gift. But she doesn't understand it. She's not just resistant, she is blind. As Paul says in Corinthians, Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. 
Nicodemus was blind. This woman is blind. All of us prior to faith in Christ, we were not just resistive towards the gospel and towards Jesus. We were blinded to the realities of of Christ and what he offers to us. Verses 11 through 12, she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? I wonder if there wasn't a little smirk on Jesus' face right there. Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. She doesn't have a clue. You ever been talking with somebody about Jesus? And they're looking at you like you got three heads. (laughs) Just like Nicodemus. Nicodemus, he's educated. But you remember Nicodemus, Jesus says he got to be born again. And what does Nicodemus say? I can't go back in my mother's womb. He didn't have a clue either. And neither did any of us. Prior to faith in Christ, the gospel was foolishness. Like listening to a dog whistle. We couldn't hear it. Not only did we, could we not hear it or understand it, quite frankly, we didn't want it. Well, look in verses 13 through 14. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And in the Garden of Eden... There was the spring of water that went up from the earth that supplied them with water and life. When Israel comes out of the bondage of Egypt, you'll remember water comes forth from the rock. In Psalm 1, remember, uh, blessed man delights himself in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates both day and night, for he'll become like a tree firmly planted by what? By streams of water. Jeremiah 2.13 The Lord says, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. There's a spiritual picture being painted here for this woman that I will give to you living water. And I can only imagine Jesus knowing everything about this woman is thinking about all the things that she sought for in her life to provide her with happiness and joy and peace and fulfillment, all the men that she had been with, all the marriages that she had been through, seeking for somebody who'd supply the need of her life. And with a compassionate heart, he's leading her to the only source of life, which is himself. But she still doesn't get it. She still can't see it. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I'll not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw The light you can see here is beginning to dawn on this woman as you move through the conversation. You'll see the way that she acknowledges him changes. Now she's going to call him sir. A little later, she'll refer to him as a prophet. Eventually, her eyes will be open to the reality that he is the Christ. But you can see God beginning to open her eyes. And all of a sudden, she gets a little curious about this. You got this water. I won't have to come back here. I think I want some of that. Now, all of a sudden, she's interested in Jesus. But she's not interested for spiritual reasons, is she? She just wants the perks. And so many people, when they initially come to Christ, they're interested in the perks, the physical. You remember even the paralytic, we talked about this last week. He comes to Jesus. I think primarily he's not thinking about his spiritual need. He just wants to walk. 
Jesus didn't come to heal his legs. He came to save him of his sins. So he first starts with forgiving his sins. Well, Jesus here is drawing this woman in on the basis of physical needs. But he didn't didn't come to meet that need. He came to meet the need of her soul, which is the forgiveness of her sins. But she doesn't know that she needs that. All she's thinking about is the physical, which is where most people are living. So Jesus has to create a need of redemption and salvation in her soul. And how do you do that? How do you go to somebody and get them to see their need of Jesus? Well, you got to show them first that they're what? That they're a sinner. Before you'll ever realize your need of a Savior, you first got to recognize you're a sinner. And so what does Jesus do in verse 16? He said to her, go call your husband and come here. In verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. What does she do? She just lies. Technically, maybe not. But she's dodging the issue, isn't she? It's amazing if you go out and share the gospel. When you start beginning to dig into the issues of sin, (laughs) people start squirming a little bit. And they will often try to make themselves out as better than they really are. Well, Jesus doesn't let her off the hook that easily. He said to her, you have said correctly, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. You have said this truly. And Jesus begins to reveal to this woman, I know everything about you. That you can't hide anything from me. You might be able to hide your sin from the world, but you can't hide it from me. See, Jesus is going to let her in on the reality that I know everything about you and yet I still love you. Do you know that today? That Jesus knows every sinful thought that's ever entered into your mind. And he still loves you. So he's letting this woman know you can't hide it from me. I know everything about you. I know all your little quests for happiness and fulfillment that have only left you broken. I know all about all these marriages that you've been through in the search for fulfillment and the solution to the brokenness of your soul. And Jesus is leading her into the reality that only Christ can satisfy your soul. He's the only one who can fix the brokenness of her life and your life. He's the only one who will never leave you. And he's the only one who can grant to you a peace that surpasses all understanding. Meaning a peace and a joy and a fulfillment that is not attached to your health or your bank account or your job status or your marital status, but a joy and fulfillment that comes from knowing the one who made you and loves you and sent his son to die for you and knows everything about you and wants to save you and draw you into a relationship with himself. But what he's also letting this woman know is in order to know that salvation, there's a necessity of repentance. Repentance. 
that you have to deal with your sin. You cannot just add Jesus in to the sinfulness of your life. You've got to repent and turn away from sin. That Jesus is a lot like a really good physician, a really good doctor. I, I, as I was saying this, I was reminded of when I had a appendicitis. I didn't know it at the time. I'd gone to the doctor, and uh, then he referred me on to the hospital, and, and they were trying to diagnose. So they sent in this uh, uh, surgeon, and he comes in, and he starts poking around. Do you ever have that happen? Yeah, poking around. And he started poking. He said, does it hurt there? No, that's not too bad. He gets a little further. How about here? All right, now you're getting somewhere. And then finally, he said, how about here? And I said, how about I punch you, brother? Get your hand off me. But in that moment, listen, I didn't want some mamby-pamby doctor who would just tell me what I wanted to hear, who says, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I wanted somebody who would stand between me and my health and get to the heart of the issue so that I could know healing. And do you know what Jesus is doing right here in this woman's life? He's getting to the heart of the issue. You want healing and you want salvation. You've got to own up to the reality of who you are, and that's you're a sinner. And can you imagine how painful this must have been for that woman? She had probably tried in every way she knew how to put the sinful past behind her. And now here is this man named Jesus drumming up all her sin and all her past. And listen, he's not doing this to be mean. He's not doing this to condemn her. He's doing this so he can save her. And so he, he brings about the acknowledgement of her sin. And what is her response? All of a sudden, she don't want to talk about that. How about let's talk about worship. Look in verses 19 through 20. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you people say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. It's interesting. You go out to share the gospel and you really start cutting to the heart of the issue of sin. All of a sudden people want to talk about the heathen in Africa. They all of a sudden, they, they'll bring up anything else. How about all this science and stuff? How about the big man? Let's talk about all those things. They don't want to deal with the real issue, which is their sin. People will try to go all the way around it. And so this woman tries to deflect the, the conversation in another direction and look at Jesus' response in verses 21 through 24. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit spirit and in truth you see what god is doing what christ is doing with this woman and her sinfulness let's talk about worship you yeah I, we got to go to this place you got to go to that place and jesus says listen stop it all that stuff is coming to an end he's looking at a samaritan woman remember us as gentiles if you can't trace your lineage you weren't getting anywhere near the holy of holies you were on the far outer court. There was no way to get to God. She's probably thinking, I'm a Samaritan. I can't get to God. And Jesus is saying to her, an hour is coming when all those barriers are going to be broken down. 
And worship of God will no longer be about a location. And it's no longer going to be about sacrifices. God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. What he's saying to this woman is you can be ushered into the very presence of God today. Not on the basis of a location or a sacrifice. But based on the condition of your heart. That what I desire is worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. What does that mean? Spirit. That's lower S. It means your heart. A broken and contrite heart is what God desires. He's told Israel all about this in the Old Testament. If your heart's not right, you can offer all the sacrifices you want. It means nothing to me. You can come to church, dress up, look nice, come every Sunday. But if your heart's not right, it's not what God desires. He wants people who will just say to him, you're my only hope. Spirit and in truth. Meaning, you got to come in truthfulness with honest hearts. you got to be honest about who you are. That God does not expect you to be perfect, but he does expect you to be perfectly honest. you got to quit trying to fool God, and you got to own up with the reality and the depth of your sinfulness. And you got to come to him as your only hope and the only means of your salvation. That's what God desires. You know, as I was studying that, one of my favorite parts of a mission trip is when you, you get to worship with other believers in another part of the world. Listen, I, I've been in schools in Peru. I've been under trees in Africa. I've been in underground house churches in China. I've been in prisons in Montgomery, Alabama. And I've been gathered up with people who are worshiping the king. And it wasn't about a location. It was about a group of people who came from different backgrounds and different places. But all of us understood this Jesus is our only hope because we're all sinners and we need him. That's what God's looking for today. Not a group of people who will walk through a bunch of spiritual religious hoops. He doesn't want emotional excess. He he doesn't want dead formalism. He wants your heart. And he's looking at this Samaritan woman and saying, all that's required to know me and salvation is to own up to your sin and trust in me as your Savior. Well, look at how she responds. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, when that one comes, he'll declare all things to us. She says, that, 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 I've heard about this Messiah, and when, when he comes later on down the road, that, that'll be good. He'll clear all this up for us. And what does Jesus do in verse 26? If there is a moment, there's a lot of these moments in Scripture I would have loved to have been there. This is the, one of those moments I'd have loved to have seen this. I think Jesus looks right into her eyes. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Can you remember back to that moment where God was beginning to draw you in? 
And you were curious about salvation. Maybe you came to initially for, for physical needs or whatever. But gradually you began to understand, I'm a sinner. And boy, if you stay in that place of just contemplating your sin, it's a very depressing place. But can you remember back to that moment when God for the first time peeled back your the blinders from your eyes and you understood this Jesus. He died for me. And he's my only hope. I still remember sitting, standing in a pew at Clearview Baptist Church in Coweta, Oklahoma. God spoke into my heart personally. The blinders fell. I had heard about Jesus. I just said through many sermons. But in that moment, I knew he was my only hope. This woman. This woman at this moment, she comes to a realization of who Jesus is. Now, how do we know what has happened in our heart? Well, we don't have time this morning. But you see it in her changed life. I, I love it. I think you get down to verse 28. It says, so the woman left her water pot. And I think that's significant because what she came for, what she was wanting was physical needs met. But all of a sudden in the light of the glory of Jesus, the physical doesn't seem that important anymore. What do we sing in that hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, they grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. All of a sudden, water doesn't matter. And she begins to tell people, come see a man. All of a sudden, this woman who didn't want to be seen around anybody. She probably has a horrible reputation. All of a sudden, she becomes an evangelist. She's not been to evangelism training. She doesn't know the faith training model. She doesn't know the three circles. She certainly hadn't been to college or seminary. But she met up with Jesus and now she becomes an incredible evangelist who will go back to her village. And scripture tells us that many will come to faith in Christ because of her testimony. Listen, you, if you know Jesus today, if you've met the Savior and you've trusted him, then you have all you need to become the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. That we are all just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. As the saying goes, we're all a bunch of nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody who will save anybody. And what we're seeing in all these things is you couldn't have shut this woman up if you wanted to. Nobody had to tell her, hey, Samaritan woman, um, I don't know if you know this, but now you've got to start telling people about Jesus. 
she is naturally compelled. And I want to remind you, does her circumstances necessarily change? Nah, she's got, she's got a tough past. And she's still going to have to deal with all those things. But if you notice, as she moves forward now, she's got joy, she's got purpose, and she finally has fulfillment. Why? Because she met somebody named Jesus who changed her. You know, we're all familiar with the story Cinderella. You know Cinderella? She got the uh, wicked stepmother and wicked stepsisters. She's in a bad, horrible, slave-like situation. And there's a ball. She's not invited. She can't go. And you remember through a miraculous set of events, all of a sudden those mice become horses and pumpkins become chariots and she's got a dress and she gets to go to the ball and there at the ball she meets somebody, this wonderful prince, and he falls in love with her and she falls in love with him. But the tragedy of the story is what? Eventually midnight the clock strikes and the chariot turns back into a pumpkin, and the horses turn back into mice. And if you watch the story closely, if you read the books with the pictures, you find this woman is right back in a bad situation. She's now going back to a place where she's scrubbing floors and mopping and sweeping. But if you look at the pictures closely, you'll notice all of a sudden she's now singing while she sweeps, and she's humming while she mops. And even though she's in a bad situation, she's got joy in her heart. Why? Because she met somebody. And she knows that that somebody is coming for her. Does that not describe this Samaritan woman? Does that not describe us? That we meet up with this Jesus and he's in love with us and we fall in love with him and he saves us and he cleanses us and he gives us life and meaning and purpose and we still exist within an awfully evil world and we face all kinds of evil circumstances and situations. But now when we face them, we are humming and singing because we met somebody and we know that one day he is coming for us. That is our story. That's this woman's story. I want you to hear from another guy named Denny Denham. I want you to watch his testimony briefly here. Uh, we were having marriage problems and I ended up getting involved where I shouldn't have. And things were going the wrong way and I couldn't get things straightened out, couldn't get away from where I, where I was at. And I looked at everything and I figured that it'd be best if I just end my life. And I was taking, uh, I traveled around 13 counties around the Kansas City area. So I headed out one day with that intention, heading down east, 50 Highway. So I went on down the road and ended up in Sedalia. And, uh, well, I'm here. I just want to do some work. I, I had sold the church some equipment, the new installation. So I decided to go by there and check it out and make sure everything's all right. So I went over there and talked to, to the lady that's running the machine. And she has a problem, took care of it. And the pastor came walking by. And 
I thought, well, maybe he can help me. So I asked him, uh, you got a few minutes, Pastor? And he says, yeah. He looked at me and said, yeah, come on into the office. And I don't know what he saw, but he got real serious when he said that. So we're in the office, and he says, what's the problem? And I said, well, I don't know where to start. And he says, well, the beginning's the best place. So I just laid it all out to him, what's going on and everything. He says, well, you've probably tried all kinds of things, and nothing's worked. And I said, yep, you're right. He says, well, nothing will work until you get right with God. I said, what do you mean? So he explained what it meant to getting right with God, that accepting him as Lord and Savior. And so he led me in prayer, and I received Christ. And on the way home is the most different feeling I've ever had in my life. I was relaxed, I was happy, and I realized that the Lord was going to take care of things. Everything that had been going wrong ended like somebody took an ax and cut it off. It was, it was over with. And I never had any more problems with that. And I just knew that it was the Lord that took care of it because the timing was just too, too good for it to be anything else. I went through a program called uh, How to Share Your Faith Without Fear. And uh, Bill Fay, who put this program together, has made it possible for us to share that with other people and teach them how to do that and to be able to lead people to the Lord and not get in an argument with them. Just get them to do it because they want to. With the situation that our world is in today, the time is very short. And we need to be out reaching other people so that they can be with us in heaven when the time comes. It's just one of those things, just, I feel an extreme urgency about this, that we really need to be out reaching those who do not know the Lord so that they too can spend eternity in heaven with us. Amen. What a powerful story. I got to sit with Denny about a month ago and just a man who had run out of himself. He was thinking about throwing in the towel and giving it up, taking his own life. And I just so happen to believe there might be somebody that's watching today or maybe even this room and you're in the same place because you've tried everything and you've only found yourself back in a place of brokenness. Can I tell you there's only one solution to the brokenness of your life? There's only one person who will quench the thirst of your soul, and it's Jesus Christ. But you've got to own up to your sin, and you've got to turn to him as your only means of salvation. But if you will, you can have a new start. Denny in Sedalia, Missouri, was reborn on a day in which he was going to take his own life. Today, you can be reborn. Your sins forgiven, the Holy Spirit of God placed in your heart, set down a new path apart from no act of your own except just believing in Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself is a gift of God. What would prohibit you from receiving that gift today? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the gift that you've so freely provided in Jesus. God, you saw us in, in our sin. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. 
no hope. And you could have left us right there. But you loved us and you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. Not for his. He's perfect. He's God. But to die on a cross for our sins. He lived the life we couldn't. He died the death we should have. And he has now provided a way of salvation. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. God, I pray if there's anybody here today watching online in the venue at Reach Church DeSoto that today they've run out of themselves. They've come to the end of their rope. I pray that they would turn their eyes towards Jesus. God, I pray that they would trust in you and know your salvation, know your forgiveness, that today they'd be reborn. They'd be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son simply by placing their faith in you. Lord, for those of us that do know you, I pray that we would be reminded again of the wonder, the salvation that you've provided. And that as people who have freely received, I pray that we would freely give. I pray that we would go out into this world and tell people about the hope that we have in Christ. God, make us bold. Open doors. We love you, Father. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.